0: hello and welcome to the c21 podcast my name is jonathan webdale mip tv 2019 is just around the corner and the c21 team are packing their suitcases for another week in Cannes. we'll be zigzagging la croisette pacing the palais and pressing the flesh at club c21 bringing you all the biggest stories from this year's event In a moment we'll be hearing from Lucas Green, head of content at Banerjee Group, talking about new game show Catch and offering his take on where the TV formats business is right now. But first I'm joined by C21 editorial director Ed Waller, Michael Pickard, editor of C21's Drama Quarterly, as well as C21 International editor Richard Middleton for a look ahead at some of the highlights we can expect from MIP TV this week. Mid Formats gets underway over the weekend, where C21 is releasing its annual Formats industry survey, which also features in our present pro report. What are some of the key findings this year and the trends you see developing at the event?
1: Thanks, John. Yeah, every year we publish the C21 Formats report uh, based on extensive interviews with TV executives from around the world and obviously our own survey. Uh, some of the key findings we found this year are quite interesting compared to last year. We have we found that the rollout of formats uh, is, um, is slowing down a little bit. There seems to be this development of uh, the, the sleeper format, uh, formats that have been around for a couple of years, but suddenly they get hot and um, picked up and made a hit. For instance, the Masked Singer from South Korea uh, launched about four years ago, and it's only this year that it's uh, become a big hit on Fox in the States. So that that trend, the idea of the format distribution slowing down a few years ago, it was very much about speed to market and getting your format uh, rolled out in as many territories as possible, largely to combat the Me Too and the copycat formats that would inevitably follow. But nowadays it seems that uh, the speed of, with which formats are rolling out is slowing down a little bit. Another trend that we, we picked up on is, is the UK regaining its format mojo to some degree. The, the UK has been the, leading the format business since the mid-90s largely when the unscripted boom began. Uh, but in recent years it sort of took the foot off the gas a little bit with uh, in terms of original development, perhaps due to all the mergers and acquisitions that were going on in the UK. But now it seems to be uh, firing on all cylinders with... Uh, Startup companies uh, getting global deals, and also the the format giants focusing their attention back on original development. So that's good to see. The other sort of trends that can be can be caught up with in the session that our MD and editor in chief David Jenkinson is going to be doing on Saturday morning, as part of MIT formats. But there seems to be a real revitalization of the unscripted format business, perhaps because of the, the way in which the giant SVOD companies are, are focusing on unscripted at the moment. Uh, a lot of the US cable channels that have dipped their toe in drama have moved back into, into reality, perhaps because dramas a bit too risky and expensive nowadays. So there seems to be a lot more um, oomph in the global unscripted format business, John. And what about
0: the format awards that we're doing on Saturday night as well?
1: Yeah, we'll be doing our usual um, format awards on Saturday night at Club C21 on the beach. We're going to be celebrating um, the career of Peter Fincham who's the co-founder of a UK production company called Expectation. Uh, You know, he's had a long and distinguished career in in production and broadcast at ITV, BBC, uh, Talkback Thames, and a a long and distinguished slate of shows to his credit. So it would be great to celebrate him getting the Gold Award this year.
0: And so what about some of the other stories that we're expecting to, to hear more about down at MIP Formats and over the course of MIP TV?
1: There seems to be a slightly worrying trend emerging uh in the format business in the sense that the it's the rise of sort of anti-marketing or counter-marketing the tactical use of legal action there seems to be a lot of um, pre-market use of uh, cease and desist letters uh, we had an example with um Kechette's new format 2025 uh, endermol's claiming it to be a, a rip-off of big brother Cashet's response that it was a deliberate attempt to sabotage uh, the launch of its new format in the run-up to MIP, and it seems that every time there's a big market, there's there's a, a number of legal cases, whether they're based on actual IP theft or whether it's just tactical use of a cease and desist letter just to sort of uh, mess up with the marketing strategy of a rival. Uh, a lot of people think it's the latter, so that's a little bit of a worrying trend that hopefully we won't see too much of. But MIP formats, Mike.
0: Uh, you and I were at Series Mania last week and now Can Series is upon us. It's the second year that that festival's been running alongside T V. Last year they, they scored a bit of a coup getting the premiere of Killing Eve. What's in store this time round?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, drama, as we know, is, is still, um, you know, the driver of, of TV markets, I, I would argue these days, despite the protestations of my learned friend here, um, you know, c- citing examples of how the format's business is is still in business. Um, you know, I think Cannes series and, and series mania and, and Berlinale as well that I was uh, at in February are evidence that, um, you know, drama is still booming and, and particularly um, the screening side of these markets now, there are, there are more screenings being done and there's, um, there's a real like, consumer side of things that are kind of bolstering um, interest and buzz around new series that um, hopefully will, will lead into sales um, when, when it comes to markets. Can Shoes has got some big hitters this year. Um, they've got master classes with Diana Rigg um, during the week, and also Stephen Fry, who's uh, one of the, the jury members for the competition. Um, and in the competition, there are going to be 10 world premieres, among them a German series, Bauhaus, um, a Russian drama called The Outbreak, and an interesting uh, Flemish crime drama called The Twelve, which looks at a murder trial from the point of view of the twelve jurors. And there's a piece going out on Drama Quarterly this week um, with the writer and producer talking about how they believe it's a a fresh way to to look at uh, the investigation into a murder. Um, It should also be noted, it's not just the main competition that people will be interested to to hear more about though. Um, There's also more premieres out of competition, um, including Beecham House, which comes from Bendilaj Beckham, director Gurinder Chadha, and has been um, dubbed so far in in Britain from what I've seen as um, Delhi Downton, um, sort of remarking on uh, Downton. Abbey, so we'll wait to see um, how that comes across. There's also AMC horror uh, Nosferatu and uh, a new drama from Russell T Davies called Years and Years, uh, which we actually have a piece uh, about in the new drama quarterly. Let's not forgetting the other drama festival that's going to be happening at MIP TV, the MIP Drama Bias Summit, where Um, There'll be more series, Uh, it's more of a first look series, so um, there'll be footage from Atlantic Crossing, which is the new Carl McLaughlin, Sophia Helen period drama. Um, there's also World on Fire, which is the new uh, Peter Bowker drama, which uh, aims to be kind of the definitive World War II um, drama. So there's a there's lot to see. Um, and just looking ahead at the actual MIP TV schedule, I would certainly suggest people go and see the keynote from Eileen Shakin, um, the writer-producer who's uh, known for the L-word empire um, and more recently The Handmaid's Tale.
0: OK, thanks very much. Mike, you've already touched on a few of the things that are going to be in DQ magazine down in MIP. They were flying off the shelves at series mania so be sure to grab a copy while you're in Ken of the other magazines that we're producing obviously rich you're the editor of c21 international what can you tell us about what's in this bumper issue
3: we've got a wide array uh, of features in this edition we start off we've got an interview with gil goldshine who is the ceo at in murray uh, really interesting time for him at the moment Facebook, obviously, rebooting the real world um, and Gil is behind it with Bunny Murray and MTV so we're looking into some of the trends that he's noticed sort of in the international format industry but also over in the US and also what these new streamers are going to do. So a lot of it is interactivity, uh, trying to make these the veteran formats much more interactive uh, and engage the, the, the audience. So You can expect to see some uh, some insights into what the real world on facebook might look like in that piece we also have a focus on france france being the country of honor down at mip tv this time Uh, so we have a whole piece on the drama industry which there's lots of interest in french drama the streamers have gone in there they were initially perhaps not completely welcome Lots of concerns uh, in terms of what might affect the scripted industry and the sort of traditional scripted industry in France, but things seem to be going pretty well. There's lots of uh, data that suggests that French drama series are exporting better than ever, uh, but we've also got a big piece on the factual side of things and unscripted. Um, obviously. French cinema is well known around the world but they've also got a rich heritage in documentary and factual content Um, and it actually turns out that, I think it was 2017, factual content made up more than half of France's programme exports. So this piece sort of explores that whole genre and and delves into a little bit more detail in terms of what's getting exported, where it's going to uh, and what the future looks like for the factual industry.
0: You're also going to be covering the Newsbeat for us down in Cannes in terms of the big stories at MIP TV this time round. Uh, you've already mentioned that France is the country of honour. Media One is one of the companies representing that charge, I suppose, and they're also taking over the stand that would normally be occupied by BBC Studios. How significant a development is that? Endemol Shine is also not going to have a presence at the market. Fox neither as well. All three companies are obviously got their own internal... Uh, stories going on at the moment. Is that about MIP? Is it about them? What's happening?
3: I think it's uh, an evolution of the, the sort of market industry as a whole perhaps. There's a lot more events that buyers and distributors and, and production companies are going to. A lot of the deals are being done sort of in advance almost. So A lot of these big, the big drama deals. It's not necessarily straight acquisitions. It's discussions about pre-sales, co-production partners, that type of thing. So that's a different sort of arrangement perhaps. In terms of the there is in terms of the BBC studios and, and Animal Shine and, and Fox stands as you say that's all to do with uh, M and A in the industry which is sort of impacting not just what we're seeing on air not just the deals being done but also who's appearing at these markets I think it's fair to say there's an evolution in sort of MIPT, in in terms of TV as an event. Uh, but equally, you know, Endermore Shine is being is still the subject of Takeover Talk. So the latest rumours we're hearing in terms of Endermore Shine and, and Banerjee are that it's, that discussion is still ongoing. Obviously Fox and Disney, that deal's just closed, so that's impacting uh, many sort of arrangements in terms of what programmes are being sold and that type of thing. There's also the Sky and NBC Universal type, which again is impacting the distribution side of things and, and the channel side of things. You've got Sky Vision and NBC Universal International, these two sort of, uh, you know at the moment, independent uh, companies, but obviously there's going to be a merger of some sort, we suppose. Um, and so this it all just plays into the, the, the way that the market works, uh, and, and that is becoming apparent on the stands, I think, at, at MIP-TV. Ed,
0: how do you see that playing out?
1: Well, I think I think it's part of a much broader a story about vertical integration the the, the consequences of that as Richard's has just alluded to that there's going to be plenty of consequences in terms of the companies which are merging but the the bigger story i think is vertical integration we're seeing a lot of um, programs that are now unavailable to distribute because the owners want to keep them for their own services um, some of the um, some of the new VOD services are trying to, you know, retain their exclusivity, and so a lot of US programming is now unavailable to sell. If if you're the if you're a linear network in Europe, for instance, trying to buy a Disney show or a Starz show. They're keeping these programs for their own their own VOD services, so your supplier is now becoming your competitor. So that poses massive strategic challenges to uh, linear channels around the world. And I think we're seeing that um, their response is uh, is changing. in In recent years, we've had, you know, obviously a growth in in co-production, and these are based on sort of ad hoc co-productions about specific programs. But we're now seeing strategic alliances being solidified between. Um, public broadcasters in Europe uh, to combat the um, the growth of the, of the SVOd giants that are going to be keeping their programming to themselves. So the you know we've seen the alliance being formed out of public broadcasters in europe we've got the nordic 12 which is public broadcasters in norway we've seen commercial broadcasters like rtl and tf1 teaming up together to make strategic alliances to produce the kind of shows that they would normally expect to get from us studios but perhaps aren't going to get in future because they're going to be kept for their own um, uh, SWOD services so it's an interesting period where co production is evolving more into sort of strategic uh, alliances um, that are much more much more longer lasting and, and strategically a defensive hedge against the US programming supply drying up perhaps. At the same time we're seeing audiences in Europe and around the world perhaps less interested in US programming uh, because they're so so into their local production, the networks in those countries are so into the local production plans, the appetite for, for those kinds of shows is perhaps declining. So it's an interesting time. Whether you see that uh, the vertical integration and the sort of keeping of shows for their own SVOD platforms is a defensive measure against a lack of demand, or is it a a strategic step to try and promote the popularity of their SVOD services? It's an interesting time indeed.
0: Discovery and the BBC, of course, as well, have have just announced a, a very significant joint venture to roll out a global natural history SVOD service as well, at the same time that Netflix is getting into that. Space a very clear sign of the intent of those two broadcasters to partner in order to counter, I guess, the uh, the rising impact of SVOD.
3: Uh, yeah, absolutely, and I think I mean that deal also sort of highlights the the size of the fish that are in this pond, that because the B is essentially a licensing deal. The BBC is selling its its content to Discovery. Discovery is taking it global. You know, BBC is not; it's just not big enough anymore to sort of survive on its own. Um, and that, I mean, that deal is going to be huge. I think the ramifications of that deal of that deal on the international market will be felt you know, very deeply because all of that factual programming, I think, it's outside of China, the UK, and Ireland. Suddenly, is off the table, as Ed was saying. Um, so for, for online rights, so it becomes, you know, it's it's, a, it's almost an all or nothing um, gamble, if you can put it like that. Um, from both Discovery and BBC's point of view. Um, But obviously the BBC Studios felt that they had to make that sort of big play to compete because Netflix is increasingly getting into Factual. It's taken, you know, even the icons like Sir David Attenborough started doing stuff for uh, for Netflix. So if you follow sort of where drama's gone over the last few years, if you think the streamers are going to try to make that same sort of impact uh, on the Factual and Unscripted uh, genre as well, then Public broadcasters like the BBC suddenly find themselves as, as quite a small fish in um, a sea that is dominated by a couple of really big sharks.
1: I think one of the the issues that is going to be resolved, hopefully, at MIP TV is is what you can, what a network's going to do without their usual supply of US programming. I mean, we've seen a lot of the factual stuff being hived off for of their own VOD platforms, drama too. So there's a re- as well as all these challenges, there's a real opportunity if you're a supplier of programming, there's going to be a demand for content, licensed content that the networks around the world would normally expect to get from US studios, and they won't be able to get, so what, what they are going to put on instead? And that's an opportunity for um, Canadian, for Australian, for British producers of English language shows, perhaps. So I think uh, as well as all the turbulence and challenges that the S4 companies are, are creating by moving into this space, I think it's providing opportunities for other players uh, to, to fill the gaps in the schedules, that, that the vacuum that's going to create.
3: Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And we, we've got a piece in Channel 21 uh, International, which is available at the market, um, with Ivor Kohn, uh, who's NRK's um, in charge of drama at N- N- NRK in Norway. <clears throat> and he discusses, you know, they're putting lots of money into original drama, it's all about original drama, and, and the Nordics, obviously, are ahead of the curve, generally, on SVOD and that side of things. But one of the most successful shows they've had is Scam, and it was also one of the cheapest shows they've ever produced. Scam obviously been remade by Facebook and, and others since. So it shows that whilst this market is it's looking at the very highest ends of, in terms of budgets, there are also huge opportunities for, if you've got the right idea, these new platforms or even existing broadcasters or, or, or whatever sort of uh, operator you might be, they will have, you know, if they like the idea, the opportunity is there. Um, and I think that piece with Ivercon is really worth a read. It's an interesting sort of insight into how some of these public broadcasters are looking to adapt and use their creativity to uh, make sure that they keep their impact in the market.
0: Okay, so you were right, Mike. It is all about drama, but Scam, as you mentioned there, it was a drama format so it's also also about formats
2: well let me see if i can i can bring some of those, some of those threads together because um, as we look at more dynamic co-productions being put together and, and we're looking for for new content maybe to fill the gap that, from from other sources that maybe aren't there anymore um, i think we're going to start to see particularly um, hopefully from mip tv um, a new focus perhaps on eastern europe um, when i was at series mania last week i um, chaired a panel a case study for a new ukrainian czech polish Uh, co-production, which is a crime drama called The Pleasure Principle, set in Odessa in the Ukraine, set in Prague uh, in the Czech Republic, set in Warsaw in Poland. Bringing all these characters together from these three cities to work together on a a murder case um, that seamlessly brings together broadcasters, both pay TV and free TV, from each individual country. Plus, uh, Beta Film, obviously a, a global uh, distributor, um, onto that project as well. So, that's, I think that's an example of how Eastern Europe is now taking its moment to, to really um, build a high end drama slate. We're also going to see um, at the MIP Drama Buyer Summit um, some footage from Hide and Seek, which is another Ukrainian series from Film UA, uh, which ZDF Enterprises have picked up. You know, these alliances are not just confined to the the main public broadcasters in Europe, but we're going to start seeing these new relationships building. And it's also exciting to see new stories come out of new places that we haven't seen before. So I think we're going to really start to see more high-end drama series coming out from Eastern Europe, from Russia as well. The outbreak I mentioned before is in competition at Cannes series. So I think people, um, rather than looking west and across the Atlantic for, for the latest crime dramas, particularly in that genre, we're going to be starting to look east. And, and finally, perhaps some people will say, see what's coming out from Russia and Eastern Europe.
0: OK, well, thanks very much, Ed. Thanks very much, Michael. Thanks very much, Richard. We'll be following all of your stories as they publish online during the week uh, as we head down to MIP TV. Now, Banerjee Group is presenting a new game show format called Catch at the market this year. Made by Brainpool and commissioned by Sat Eins in Germany, C21 senior reporter Nico Franks visited the set and asked head of content Lucas Green for a run through.
4: Catch is a big physical game show which we feel has a lot of potential. One of the things we love most about the show is it's totally universal. So it's based on the childhood game of Catch. Um, Lots of people uh, give it different names. Some kids call it Tag or It uh, or Chase. And uh, we felt that the beauty of this show is it's a really strong family entertainment show, because you can watch it with your kids, you can watch it with your whole family, and it's very simple to follow. There's many different ways of approaching physical game shows some have celebrities where they're potentially you know out out of their comfort zone Um, others choose to use you know highly professional athletes what's what's been Banerjee's approach we feel we've struck upon a really good uh, mix of celebrities and sports stars and uh, it's crucial in this show that it's uh, the competition is at a very high level it's very spectacular so if you were to describe uh, to somebody the idea that it's a game of chase where one team is catching the other, you might wonder, well, what's so special about that? But I think it's the dressing, it's the spectacle, it's the the games that have been devised are very impressive to watch, and it's very high adrenaline. And there's uh, an element of uh, risk and danger and falling, which makes it feel very edgy and and exciting. And how would you uh, rate the general health of the formats industry at the moment? It's interesting because there's lots of we see lots of big shows come to market. Uh, Not all of them globally are successful throughout the industry, but at Banerjee, we like to identify those key formats which we think we should push internationally, and absolutely Catch is one of those. We find that all of our clients and all the broadcasters around the world are still looking for big shows, and we feel that this is a a big show. We feel that absolutely, um, in terms of formats, I think that if you have a distinctive idea, and it's executed well, there will be a market for that. I think that all of the, both the linear and the non-linear broadcasters are looking to cut through and be noticed. I think we're also seeing a, we're seeing a change in the genres. So I think perhaps we're coming to the end of the big talent show formats, where there was a long period where there were lots of um, singing shows that were looking for the next big star but what we're seeing now is that there is still an appetite for those singing entertainment shows but maybe the form of them has changed. You mentioned obviously the popularity and the the universality of that game of Tig as a game or, or catch that comes with its own problems though I imagine for a format because how do you ensure that that remains your IP when it's an idea that you know potentially could be co-opted by other companies and are you expecting other companies to come out with similar? What's great is that Catch is the first show to market in terms of the tag and chase genre so we've already had a very successful uh, launch in Germany we've gone straight to series and uh, the series will be on air before MIP which is uh, very exciting for us. It means that we can absolutely stick our flagpole in the sand of this genre. With all of these shows, trying to present something that feels very simple and easy to follow actually has a very complex backstory. So in producing the show, we've developed the IP of the games to a very high degree. So we've done lots and lots of testing at Brainpool of the best types of games. What's the best way to turn catch into a series of returnable playable games. And we now have a bank of games which have developed and grown from the pilot stage into games that we think work really well and have rated really well for the right price point. And so actually, we have developed the IP not just with a big brand, but also with the games that are part of that. So we feel that actually, as well as being first to market with this kind of show, we're also able to offer broadcasters a great selection of games for them to cherry pick for their local market. And In terms of the business model of selling formats and how that's changing, uh, we're seeing shows coming to market and then immediately being taken off the market in a, in a kind of one-stop, one-shop streaming deal. Are you expecting that to continue and if so, what does that mean for the future of selling formats uh, territory by territory? I think we're all aware that with the advent of Netflix and Amazon and the SVODs, that there is this new type of deal, which is a multi-territory deal and that has its own advantages so absolutely we look at that deal but also at our peril we would neglect our traditional clients. Absolutely when we look at the share of the market the big linear broadcasters around the world are still a core part of our business. So we are very open to the new models of striking deals but we still uh, do a lot of work on ensuring that when we roll out a big new show like Catch, we use our central resources of Banerjee to coordinate that rollout and that strategy because for us the, uh, the international formats market is still very strong, still very important to us and it's absolutely key for us to identify those shows which can travel and can make a big impact in their local markets.
0: Banerjee Group Head of Content, Lucas Green, talking to Nico Franks. That's all we have time for in this episode, but there'll be plenty more from the C21 podcast throughout the week at MIP TV. Stay up to date with all the latest news coming out of the event by following C21 online, on Twitter and on mobile. Thanks for listening.